0: Listening to our anxiety stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bateman. Check out anxietycanda.com for more totally free anxiety resources, including our app MindShift CBT. I'm talking to Liz Levine, producer and writer. Hi Liz.
1: Hi, John. How are you?
0: I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Great. Um uh, the, the first thing that I'm usually going for, you know, when I when I want to when I talk to people and talk to people like you is It's just address sort of how, you know, if I go straight to anxiety, how anxiety has informed your life or affected your life?
1: It's a fascinating question. You know, I think for me, I have been privileged to be born with some very strong body chemistry and balance in my life. But anxiety has certainly affected my life in the way that it has touched the mental health of those around me and you know my sister really struggled with anxiety for decades that that grew into a more severe mental health problem you know and, and ultimately took her life
0: right that's yeah that's incredibly difficult so were you aware of her of her um her what was going on with her like all through your, your youth like what was your age difference
1: um so they are three-and-three-quarter years younger than me. Yeah. And uh, they were raised as triplets in my household, two boys and a girl. And, you know, as, as my book really sort of indicates, I had a sense of her illness very young mm-hmm. before any other member of my family and also before any professionals had a sense of it. Yeah. And it just came from stories that she told that school and little ideas and behaviors that didn't line up. But I think, you know, the struggle with mental health is that it is a bit of an invisible disease. And when I would say, mom, my sister is crazy, I was definitely told to be more kind. Right. And that this was not true and not fair. She'd maybe told a lie or she'd Maybe had a moment or a bit of an upset, but, you know, I wasn't to call her that, which of course is not a term that as informed adults we use, but as a child, it was my instinct to look into her eyes and see some of the shift in her emotion or behavior or some of the anger and intuitively identify that as crazy. Right. Right. Today, when, I would identify it as somebody who is struggling.
0: Struggling, yeah, with, with yeah, I mean, with anxiety. A lot of the times, that's how it gets manifested. As does other mental health problems, depression, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So you, so you, what I don't quite understand is you mentioned something about triplets.
1: Yeah. So my mother actually gave birth to quadruplets. Yeah. One we lost at infancy in the hospital. Yeah. But triplet siblings for me came home when I was four years old. Wow, that it must was have been an amazing experience, like adopting a tiny army. <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. And yeah. and so of those triplets, one of the one of your sisters was the one who one who kind of had the mental health issues.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I've lost the the quadruplets were two boys and two girls, and we lost one girl at infancy, and the other girl. You know, just three years
0: ago. Yeah, and that was that was the one you just mentioned who took her own life. Correct. Yeah. Um, and and how? So so do you do you feel like you do you feel like you, that you're you're different? I mean, your siblings, but you're different in the sense that you were just born with something, or do you feel like you you had built in coping mechanisms, or what do you feel like is the difference there?
1: <laughs> you know, it's such a hard thing to begin to understand. And I think that it's really about layers of things. So I think I was born as a one and not as a multiple. And so I got a lot of attention from my parents. And even once the triplets came home, they were very focused on having an adult dinner with me or just time with me as the elder child. So, you know, I think that I got that in a way that No matter what kind of superheroes your parents are, it is impossible to love three at the same age in terms of time and energy, not emotion of love, but the actual output of it. It's much easier to handle just one. So I think that was a huge advantage. I think there are biological and chemical things that play here that I don't have the education to speak to, but multiples in a womb, often share a placenta, they have different sorts of proteins. I mean, I've heard all kinds of ideas Mm -hmm. behind how this happens. And then, you know, I also think that there is the the lived experience. So Mm -hmm. I have always been a tomboy. The boys and I were often enrolled in the same sports. We like the same recreational activities. And had maybe a tighter bond than we had with my sister, who was more of a girly girl and a right. little bit different from us, and then, you know, I think she also went on to struggle in school and here and there, and I have been blessed with friendships that have lasted a lifetime, and it's really hard to say if that is because of who I am or because of who I had the fortune to interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on top of that, my mother is a mental health care professional, and I think bestowed in all of us, to the best of her ability, a real sense that mental health is as important as physical health, that you do go to see a doctor when something is wrong, that mental health is a series of checks and balances, yeah. and when we were too young to check in with ourselves, my mother was really always a master at checking in with us.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's a real benefit. I don't, I don't remember, I don't really know anything about you know your, your age or anything or what area you're from, but um, you know, having I was
1: born in seventy six.
0: Seventy six, okay. So there you go. Like that, even back then, um, you know, your your mother coming to the the defense and, and, and rejecting the use of the word crazy um, mm-hmm. would have been that. That's kind of cutting edge. back back in those days.
1: No question. She's very progressive in all of that, and yet, you know, I would also say drama of that kind of knowledge is a double-edged sword, because it goes with the theory that the cobbler's son never has new shoes. My mother was the most ahead, the most intuitive, the most progressive, and also the last to really recognize the severity of Tamara's illness.
0: So... Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. Why why do you think that is? You know, what within you know, is there something within the the parent that that that's like that that she doesn't want to believe that that's possible? What do you think causes I'm that? I'm
1: sure that that is true. That I don't want to believe this is possible. I think it is the cobbler's son theory. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, I think you know, my mother deals with some very severe cases and. My sister was borderline for so many years, and on top, top of being borderline, she was brilliant. Yeah. She spoke five languages, she traveled the world, she was an Oxford scholar, she worked for the IMF and the World Bank, she was accomplished, she was always moving, yeah. never in the same place for very long, right. and, and I think put a lot of effort in to hide this, maybe most particularly from my mother.
0: Yes, yeah, so, oh so so sorta of protect your mom from from, you know, knowing she was in that field that she she herself wouldn't want your mom to feel like that she had failed Correct. within her own field.
1: Correct. And her and mom had a special relationship because that was the feminine girly girl in the family. Right. And her and mom could go and have hairdressing days or shopping days or things that Maybe I was less engaged in yeah. as a female than, than she was, and so they had a very tight bond and it was very important to Tamara to remain something specific in the eyes of my mother.
0: Yeah, yeah that's yeah so and um, in, in how did it I mean it's kind of a I mean obviously your mother was was probably was devastated by what happened with your sister. Yeah. Um, so, h- how did that inform her or inform you, you guys, in terms of the way you look at mental health? Are we already on, you already on track and knew, but you just there was just you kind of reached the the end of your resources with that. How did that? What happened? I there?
1: mean, in 2014, Tamara, while well, traveling, had a psychotic break, um, which often happens to people with severe mental health challenges yeah. in their 30s. That's a very sort of common moment. Yeah. Um, And so, like I said, she battled a sort of history of anxiety and some strange behaviors and some white lies and, you know, that sort of built and built and built. At the point that she had her psychotic break, we were all very clear. And my mother, most of all, that is the point at which my mother said, oh, nope, there's really something wrong here and rolled up her sleeves and took tomorrow through more appointments and doctors and sat in more waiting rooms and took more meetings than any parent in the history of the land, also yeah. being connected to the mental health community. She had the resources. So yeah. I think at that point, you know, we we were all very aware of how serious it was. And, you know, she died in late November of twenty sixteen. But That summer before, in July and August, she was in a psych ward and getting full-time help and then sort of graduated from that space into more part-time help. But the part-time help is really full of gaps in this country, in most of the world, to be honest and fair, but in this country. And so that became a combination of she missed a group therapy session. Mm. By the time they called to say she missed it a week later, she'd already been dead for five days.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Um, you know, her shrink who was seeing her was out of town in that moment, so hadn't seen her for two weeks. Yeah. You know, it just sort of a series of things. She was struggling with the meds, you know, as I understand it, once something has been diagnosed and everybody is really fighting and pushing in the same direction, which was true from 2014 onward, the issue becomes about finding the right balance mm-hmm. of these medications and a cocktail that really works for the individual. And, you know, obviously it didn't didn't work for Tamara, and I think in the aftermath of her Death as a you know well-educated privileged family, we already had a lot of language around mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I already had a lot of language around grief and loss, as did my mother. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the shift in that moment was that I have a very clear recollection after the funeral of Mom pulling the two boys and I into her room to take a moment to say. I didn't listen to you, oh. and you are being heard now. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, to me, that is just one of the sort of bravest, most unbelievable things that a, a mother and a woman in that moment and that position could have had the foresight to do, and, and she oh, did. Yeah. And I would say trauma mm-hmm. either fragments things or binds things together, and I would that by and large the dialogue and communication in the family has only become stronger
0: yeah yeah
1: because there is more respect around the idea that listening may be more important than talking
0: yeah I want to quickly double back to a question about um, w- when she did get out of the the, the psych ward um, and there was you feel like there was a lapse there in that level of, of health care do you think there's is there anything on the top of your head you think could be done to make that better, or what we're lacking?
1: You know, I was living in Vancouver at that moment, and this was all going on in Toronto. So, Mm. I would preface this answer by saying I have a second-hand account of these things. But the reality is, in mental and physical health, what we are really lacking is a tracking system. Mm Mm-hmm. That allows an individual patient to have an entire history of their medical backgrounds shared. Right. So one of the things Tamara was great at was moving through doctors, psychologists, Mm -hmm. people that could help her. She was so bright. She really could talk somebody around in a circle and walk away. And so every time a new doctor or a new appointment was picked up, Mm -hmm. it wasn't really picked up with the full information of what had come before.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: My mother can track some of these appointments as far back as 2011. Yeah. um, Or even 2009, because before her psychotic break, there had been a moment where she told a very big lie, yeah. and we had a family intervention around it. She said that she was sick, dying of cancer, and she was not, but she had shaved her head and come home from university, and we all kind of dug in, and my mother took her in the year after to go talk to a couple different people, one in Toronto, but also one in Ottawa, where Tamara was studying and doing some government work at the time. Yeah. And you think, you know, those records by the time we're at 2014 and her psychotic break happens are so far gone.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, in terms of mental health at large, in terms of a medical system at large, you know, my opinions are that mental and physical health need to be put on parallel tracks.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And my other real opinion in terms of, Technology and I know that these ideas are being worked on in the sort of cutting edge R and D side of things. But the idea in a digital world of having an entire history at your fingertips, mm-hmm. I think, is really vital. For sure. Um, yeah. Instead of just having a psychotic break in 2014 and being like, "This is it. It starts now." Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, totally. So those, and I just listen. The system at large is challenging. I, you know, have been down to Cam H in Toronto, their headquarters. It is one of the coldest, most isolating pieces of architecture that I have ever encountered in my life. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. slate gray and hundreds of feet tall and bars on the windows. You go up to the front desk there. It is not cheerful and friendly. There are gated yeah. front desks where you speak to people through a gate, everybody from somebody struggling with sadness about a loss to somebody who has a full-blown mental health crisis on their hands are put in the same space, in the same waiting room. Yeah, yeah. I remember Tamara calling from the psych ward to say, I'm reading books and I'm writing stories and sometimes... I talk about crazy things, like she was self-reflexive, she knew that she wasn't well, and she said that there are people here who are banging their heads against the wall, who are drooling, who are like, I don't, I don't belong here, and that's not a place that someone is going to heal and recover, and so there aren't enough organizations Mm -hmm. that are really focused as facilities for short-term to mid-term Care, we need a hundred Betty Ford clinics for mental health.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Where people can go and recover and talk through whatever the, the pain has been mm-hmm. and do some talk therapy in combination with some cognitive behavioral, in combination with trying to find the right drug cocktail. Yeah, yeah. And we need to be dealing with all of these layers. At once in a holistic kind of way, and I think system-wise, that is the biggest system failure at this stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, Liz.
1: Of course. Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And, and uh, good luck in the future, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, John.
0: Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bateman. Check out AnxietyCanada.com for more anxiety resources, including our app MindShift CBT. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Until next time.